Ah. That's a, did you guys make, that's cool. I just put that on my TikTok. It's awesome. Um, yeah, thank you. Uh, hey, it's really good to be here. My name is Preston, and um, I'm super excited to engage you uh, today and, you know, as we have the momentum for the next couple of days. And I just want to say thank you to all of you who have weathered the storm of the last couple of years. I mean, every single pastor I talk to says this last two years, for so many different reasons, has been the most challenging and I've known lots of pastors that have dropped out, have you know, thrown in the towel. And if you're here, I'm assuming at least most of you are about to throw in the towel, but you're not yet. You know, you're still here you know, at the conference. So uh, thank you so much, I, especially those of you who are, who are engaging Gen Z, the next generation. I've got four Gen Z kids, and my life dream is that they would follow Jesus till they're 85 or 90 or however long they live. And uh, it's, it's not easy. There's so many challenges, so many challenges in their life. And, and I just, I, I truly mean this. Like I, I'm so thankful for godly men and women who are investing in the next generation. It is some of the most difficult aspects of ministry that I can ever even imagine. So thank you for, for doing that. Um, my ministry journey, I, you know, I've been in many different spaces, primarily education. The last eight years, I've, I've uh, really spent my full-time ministry focus on helping the church engage the LGBTQ uh, conversation. Like, that's, that's what I do every day. So, you know, I, the email, you know, you get from a parent that's like, hey, my son's now my daughter. Like, what do I do? Like, that's just Tuesday for me, you know, um, and it's been an interesting journey. I mean, it's, it's obviously been <laughs> emotionally taxing, you know. I'm only 24, and it, <laughs> it just takes a toll on you. So um, I, here, here's what I want to, I mean, we have a short time, so um, let me just say this up front. My, I usually spend about 20 minutes kind of t telling you where I'm at and everything, so we're kind of where you know where I'm coming from. So let me just spend 10 seconds. Like, I, I, um, I'm coming from a place where I, I passionately believe in the so-called traditional view of marriage and sexuality. And yet I also think that the church could do a much, much, much better job caring and loving on LGBTQ people. So this kind of grace, truth, tension is, is, is where I live. So everything I say is coming from that position. Questions around faith, sexuality, and gender have become some of the most pressing ethical questions facing the church. And our younger generation is like swimming in the deep end of this conversation. And that's just, that's just a fact. And it used to be kind of like, you know, when I would go speak in like Portland or like East Coast, West Coast or a big city, it's like, yeah, we've been, you know, in this conversation for a while. And then I, you know, come back to Idaho and they're like, is this even a thing, you know? In, in 2022, that no longer exists. Like, th these are some of the most pressing questions facing the church in every sphere of at least North America, and it's definitely becoming more, um, more of a uh, question around the globe. And, and just in case you um, need some convincing, I, don't, I think most of you are like, yeah, I, I've been around kids, and I, I, I have an online internet connection, and <laughs> I go outside my house sometimes, like, yeah, there's, there's no real disputing that. But just in case you needed um, a little bump, let me just share some statistics. I'm not a huge statistic guy. Uh, I, I failed math in high school, so I, I, I don't, sometimes I see statistics, and I just say, I, 
I'd rather talk to people and look at a stat, okay? But sometimes statistics do give you a little bit of a broader perspective. So this study just came out uh, last month, a Gallup poll, a very broad study, and it said 20.8% of Gen Z identifies as LGBT, uh, compared to 7.1% of the population. That's up about 3% from the same poll that was taken last year. And if you took a poll 10 years ago, this percentage has at least doubled. Um, in the, uh, we, we, especially with the T of the LGBT acronym, there's been a massive increase in especially teenagers, especially females, biological females, identifying as something other than their biological sex. In the UK alone, there's been a, a 2,000 increase among males, 5,000 increase among females identifying as something other than with their biological sex over the last 10 years. In fact, just to put that in perspective, here's a couple charts. Uh, the one on the left is from the UK, the one on the right from New Zealand, tracking the, pers uh, the number of teenagers who are going to gender clinics because they're wrestling with their, uh, gender, uh, their, their gender identity, biological sex, and things related to who they are as, as a human. Um, there's been a massive uptick, especially among females. It's about three to one females to males wrestling with the gender identity. Now, some people will say, oh, yes, okay, I, I know that's going on out there, but uh, I pastor a church, so this isn't really that relevant to me. Okay, so let me um, destroy that. Uh, <laughs> this is one survey. I, I, God bless George Barna. I, I didn't think his methodology was that great here, but it, it is in the ballpark here that 39% of Gen Z identifies as LGBTQ. 30% also identified as Christian. Okay, I, I think that's too high but it still gets us in the ballpark. This is one study that was done in incredibly well. Uh, several years ago, Andrew Marin took a survey of 1,712 LGBT people, really thorough survey, wanted to know their religious background. What is your religious background? 83% said they were raised in the church. 51% ended up leaving the church after 18. So this means that the, the overwhelming majority of LGBT people, and sometimes we think like, oh, the LGBT community is out there. They're, they're outside the walls. You have church over here and the LGBTQ community. And, and many people in the LGBTQ community might be outside the walls of the church. They might be, they might, they're not, they might even not like, not like the church. They might say really mean things about the church, but at one point they were sitting in our pews, silent and scared to death that somebody would find out what they were wrestling with as a teenager. What's fascinating is a study also asked the 51%, why did you leave the church? Don't, you, don't, don't, you don't need to answer out loud, but just in your mind, like why do you think they ended up leaving the, even the, the Christian church? Most of us are gonna think, well, if they're gay or lesbian or trans, and, and most churches have this kind of traditional theology of marriage and sexuality, and, and it's, it, it's for theological reasons that they left. Well. According to actual LGBT people, they only 3% said the main reason why I left the church was because of traditional teaching on sexuality and marriage. Here are some things that they said as the top reasons why they left. I didn't feel safe, 18%. And again, these are, these are people reflecting on their teenage years, their childhood teenage years in the church because they ended up leaving after 18. Relational disconnect with leaders. 
Incongruence between teaching and practice. That's a fancy way of saying hypocrisy. I was in a church and I saw a, a, a high divorce rate. I saw half the church was addicted to porn. I saw affairs. I saw divorce and remarriage and divorce and remarriage. I saw half my youth group was sleeping around with people outside of marriage. And people showed up to church with smiley faces as if, oh, we're, we're, we're good. It's those people out there that have the issue. I can be in a church where it truly is a hospital for sinners, but not a museum for hypocrites who are looking around at everybody else's issues while downplaying the stuff that we are struggling with. Unwillingness to dialogue, or I was simply um, kicked out before I had a chance to wrestle with what God wants for my life. Now, so a couple things. Well, number one, so, so the LGBTQ conversation is not an us versus them conversation. This is an us and us conversation. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll meet uh, leaders sometimes that say, you know, well, you know, I'm glad you're doing this, Preston. You know, we don't have this issue at our church, but um, I'm glad you're helping those that do. <laughs> and my response um, is typically, number one, um, it's not an issue, but I, I, it's people, but I, I, I get what you're saying. But number two, yes, yes, you do. Yes, you do. There's, there's loads of people sitting in our pews wrestling with their sexuality or gender, most of which, if they're older, most of which they're scared to death to even share their story, or younger kids more and more, as you youth leaders know, they're a little more free to talk about their experience. And that's really what I want to focus on for the rest of our time um, this morning. So what we need is not, uh, let me also say this, like I, I don't share these statistics to stoke fear or alarmism. Because some people could say, yeah, look at the high percentages and, and there's something, you know, the Democrats are putting something in the water and making everybody gay and we need to build higher walls and we need, no, no, no. No higher wall. We need wider doors. The road to follow Jesus is narrow and impossible, but the invitation is wide and open to all, and we need to have that kind of posture, as I'll talk about in a second. So, 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 so the stats aren't like to, to get you scared. It's to say, oh my gosh, I've got an amazing array of pastoral opportunities that are on my desk right now. God, help us to engage this with grace and truth. Uh, aside from the growing percentage of, of Gen Z that identifies as LGBTQ, the ones that don't identify who are not LGBTQ, they have friends that are. Um, most of them are like, I don't know what the big deal is. Um, and, I, you know, a good percentage of younger kids, it, it, it's hard for them to be in a church that, that just cannot talk about this topic. Because silence does send an unintentional message that we just don't care. Or our head is in the sand and we just don't even really know this is something we should be talking about. And Gen Z, we can get away with it with some older generations, I won't name them, but like with Gen Z, it's just like, why, we wanna have this conversation. So. I, 
I want to say something. It might, it might be a little bold, and I, and I, I, <laughs> I look. I've been in, I've been in full time, different kinds of full time, full time ministries, and I, I, I love the church, and I know the grind of the church. You're, you're marrying someone on, on, on Monday, and burying somebody on Tuesday, and uh, you know, piecing together a broken marriage on Wednesday, and trying to make budget on Thursday. And you're like, oh my gosh, I got to preach again on Sunday, and Friday, and Saturday. You're up late. I know the grind of ministry, and I'm not saying this is the only thing that you need to focus on. What I am saying is in 2022, it does need to be brought to the top, and silence is not an option in 2022 for any Christian leader who says, I will not help my, help disciple my people in some of the most pressing ethical questions facing the church. I, 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 I think it might be pastorally irresponsible to say, I'm just not going to help my people think through this. Okay. That's, everything else is going to be easier after that. That's that's because I, I don't like I, I don't like when people are like Pastor, you need to do this. You need to like I'm not. I don't. I don't want to come off that way. But I, I do think that it's indisputable that this is among the the top tier things we need to help people wrestle with. Um, okay, so some of you are like, yeah, been doing it, great. If that's you, then you can check out. Go check your Twitter or whatever. <laughs> some of you are like, okay, yeah, I think I do need to press into this, but how? in the world do I do that? So I'm just going to give you five quick tips for, if, for specifically for engaging Gen Z in questions of faith, sexuality, and gender. Five quick tips. Number one, before you even do it, we need to prepare ourselves and our leaders, which would include, I think, parents. Let's not leave parents out of this discussion. I know a lot of parents are like, I, I do want to help my kid think through this. Half their friends are non-binary or bisexual, and I, I, they're coming to me with questions. And church, I, can you help me to disciple my own kid? Um, so we need to prepare ourselves and our leaders. Unprepared teaching and discipleship can do more damage than good. Um, so I would highly recommend, again, creating space if you're in some kind of leadership group that is focusing on Gen Z, to as leaders start having these hard conversations. Read two or three or four books together and get together and talk about it. Find out where other people are at. Because um, it's, it's when you, and, and create space for honest conversations. If a leader feels like, well, I'm not sure I'm on the exact same page as my youth pastor or whatever, they, they might be scared to even talk about that. But what is that? That's not good. Better to have an honest conversation where there's some disagreement, you need to work through things, and just, than just like not talk about it. Not talking about it's not the answer. We don't need to be experts on everything. There's layers of complexity in this conversation. But if, if I was a, like a youth leader in charge of some Gen Z ministry, I would, I would want all my leaders to be able to respond well to a kid that comes out to them. Just some basic stuff. If somebody says, hey, I, I think I might be gay, like how do you... How, how do we respond to that? Well, you do a lot of listening. You affirm that God loves them where they're at. And, and you say, hey, I, I'm going to be here for you. And, and I'm a safe person to talk to so that you can build relational collateral. There's some basic stuff that, that all anybody working with Gen Z should be able to, to do. We need to build relational bridges, not relational walls. Number two, we must embody both grace and truth. I'm so, <laughs> I'm so passionate about the truth of God's word. 
And, and we need to, if God, if the creator has designed marriage to be the context of a sexual relation, and if the creator has designed this to be between a man and a woman, and, and let me say, I, I, I don't, I'm going to assume that not everybody maybe even is, is there with me, and that's, that's, that's okay. This is, this is where I'm at. It's probably where most, most people are at. But if you do believe this, we, we, we shouldn't just like tolerate it. It should be celebrated. If this is what the creator has said, and if this is how he has wired his creation, then we can't be bashful and shrink back from helping disciple our students in the ways of the creator. So that's the truth side. If you believe it, don't be embarrassed by it. The grace side, we could, if we get the Bible right but get love wrong, then we're wrong. Because the same Bible that contains the truth also has many passages talking about this radical, incarnational, agape love that we are to embody towards other people. Jesus had, a, Jesus had an excessively high ethical standard. Have you ever tried to read the Sermon on the Mount <laughs> and then do that? <laughs> You'll fail before breakfast, okay? High ethical standard. And yet he also excessively loved people who fell short of that standard. That, that's our tension. Like we serve a creator with a really high ethical standard, so high that he had to walk out of a grave for us to attain it, right? But that's the standard we're shooting for. And when someone falls short of that, we radically embody the scandalous love of Jesus in their life. That, that, that should shape everything we do in this. But Paul says, it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. If you were to ask your LGBT neighbor, when you think of the church, what comes to mind? Would they say kindness? It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. We need to let that posture shape everything we do. Our tr and and I'm, I'm by nature a truth guy. That's my default. That's what I love. I'm a millennial, okay? <laughs> we, we love the hard-hitting sermons, you know? I mean, we're the ones that the ones that raised up Mark Driscoll, right? So I'm, I, I just, just yell at me. I love it. Like, that's, that's how I'm wired, wired. Tell me to repent. Repent! Oh, yeah, I love it. Give me more. Gen Z, it's just, they're just not wired that way. It's not that they don't care about the truth. It's that they, when you embody the kindness to them, as you know, as you work with Gen Z, like that, that that's the best mode through which they can encounter and receive and believe and follow the truth. Our truth will not be heard until our grace is felt. The greatest apologetic for the truth is love. Number three, uh, and I'm going to, two more minutes. Um, we need to disciple our students in a holistic view of sex, sexuality, marriage, singleness. Before we tell them don't have sex before marriage, which is a good thing, we need to teach them what's sex even for? Rather than beginning with a big fat, no, 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 no. It's like, why did God create this thing anyway? What's marriage for? What, what about singleness? The Bible elevates singleness. Um, there's no guarantee in the gospel that our kids are going to go get married. Like, what if God calls them to a life of singleness? So I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't love it when we just segment the LGBT conversation as some completely separate thing. It is part of a bigger discussion of what it means to be a sexual embodied human. Okay, so I, I really like more holistic teaching 
not one-off sermons on homosexuality or something. Fourth, we absolutely need to create space for students to ask honest questions without fear of saying something wrong. If you just give monological teaching and they sit there, they're gonna nod, whatever, and they have all these questions in their mind, they've got pushbacks, in this conversation, most Gen Z kids know more than we do. If you're not, you know, they just, this is the world they swim in. So we need to create space for honest questions from students and be able to say like, you know what? I don't know the answer to that, but I, I can I, I'm gonna go find out and I'm gonna try to work, you know, uh, dig into this w- with you. A humble posture carries a lot of relational collateral with Gen Z. I used to try to cook up an answer. You know, I, I used to teach at a Bible college, and if they asked me a question, I'm like, wow, here's the answer. They knew when I was blowing smoke. They knew what I didn't know. They can smell that a mile away. But you say, you know what? That's a really good question. I, I don't know the answer to that. In fact, I don't understand the words you use in your question. You know, I don't know what pansexuality is. Let me go Google it, and I'll come back and maybe help you think through that. Create space for honest dialogue without fear of saying something wrong. Uh, lastly, We need to keep Jesus at the center of it all. In my anecdotal experience, okay, I I dabble with Gen Z. I've got four Gen Z kids. I talk to youth pastors. So I'm not completely ignorant, but I'm not like in the trenches every single day with Gen Z, okay? So in my anecdotal experience, um, I think Gen Z's ready and eager for, for seeing Jesus and the gospel for the radicality that it is. When I talk to Gen Z leaders, they say, this, this generation is, is, is hungry. They're wrestling with a lot of stuff, and, and, and sometimes they get a bad rap, but, but, but the, it, we shouldn't shrink back from giving them the hard, challenging, beautiful truth of the gospel. We serve a, we serve a God who who died and walked out of a grave and sent us the Spirit and and rose to heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father and rules the heavens and bids us to come die with Him. Because it's in death with Jesus that we find true life. I don't want to water that down. Why would I water that down? I want to say Christianity is is difficult, it's, it's challenging, you're gonna, it's gonna get you canceled, you're gonna lose friends, it has a sexual ethic that is gonna be protested at every corner of culture, but in dying to these things, you will find true life. I want my students to have a radical, disruptive, transformative encounter with the risen Lord of the universe. That's why I wake up every day, that's what I want my kids to do, is to have that, um, frightening encounter sometimes. And it's from that perspective that any teaching on sexuality will make sense. I want my kids to have that radical encounter with Jesus, keep Jesus at the center of it all. I just wanna pray quickly over you in this conversation, and Robert's gonna come up. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm excited, Lord, to see what you're gonna do with this next generation. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to embody the scandalous grace of God and the radical truth of God in a conversation toward a a younger generation that's hungry for it, Lord. Break open their hearts, Lord, so that we can cultivate radical followers of you. In Christ's name, amen.